I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When I'm speaking to them, I'm not getting pictures of heaven the way religions want us to believe. And I think that if more people knew this, that uh, maybe we'd be living our lives a little differently. You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary stories about the spirit world. My name is Karina Machado. I'm a journalist who spent more than a decade sharing stories about the spirit world through my books, Spirit Sisters, Where Spirits Dwell and Love Never Dies, as well as my podcasts, Spirit Sisters and now The Ghost Files. My guest today, Christine Ferris, realised as a child that she could see things that other people couldn't as she puts it, and quickly learnt to keep quiet about it. Growing up in a haunted house in the western suburbs of Sydney, it was not unusual for Christine to see strangers that were not of this world, yet looked flesh and blood, and they'd be wandering the hallways of her home. These experiences led her on a lifelong quest to answer the eternal question, is there life after death? For the last 25 years, Christine has been clearing spirits from haunted houses and over the last decade, she's been running tours of the Convent Gallery in Dalesford, Victoria. Christine has a wealth of spine-tingling stories to share, so settle in. And remember, I always love to hear from the audience, so if you have a story to share, please write to me on Facebook and Instagram at Karina Machado Author or email me at karinamachado at optusnet.com.au. Now, over to my conversation with Christine. Hello, Christine, and welcome to The Ghost Files. It's lovely to have you join us from Ballarat, Victoria. Thanks for having me. Now, Christine, you have decades of experience as a paranormal investigator, but before we get into some of your most memorable encounters, I'd like to wind the clock back to your childhood. When did you first become aware that you could see people that were invisible to others? When I was in year two, my family moved to Harris Park, which is uh, next to Parramatta, and it was a very, very, very old house. When we started living there, I started seeing people in my house that weren't my family, and I, I was about seven or so, I guess, maybe eight, and I didn't understand why there were all these people in the house. Um I mentioned it to my my parents and they assured me that there was nobody there, but I could see them. And it was really frightening as a, as a child because we had a toilet out in the very backyard and I had to go out there on my own in the nighttime if I needed to go to the bathroom and, it, and there were people everywhere. Tell us about these people. Were they men, women, a mixture of both, children? Tell us a bit more about who you were seeing. The interesting thing is that the people that I was seeing in that house were all men and they were older men. So I don't know why that was the case or whether a whole bunch of old men lived there or died there or what. But, okay. um, yeah, they were all all older men. They would have been, you know, 60s and over. Right. And um, 
The first thing I thought of just then when you said that was I wonder if at any point the home had been some sort of halfway house or. Mm. Look, I wondered about that too. Unfortunately, I've never been able to find out the answer to that. Um, Neighbours who lived there before, you know, who've been there their whole lives um, have long died. So, yeah, I don't know the answer, but I had wondered that myself Mm. uh, as an adult. So how many how many do you think you were seeing? Oh, look, I would say it was probably between five and ten most times. Okay. And did they look like solid people to you? So you couldn't tell the difference between, you know, humans no. and the spirits? Yeah, look, to me, most of the time I see a ghost, they do appear completely solid and these these ones did appear to be solid and I would go up to them and I would sort of try and touch them to see if they were really there. So I didn't understand what was going on at all and I had no one to talk to about it. No, you wouldn't. But what happened when you went up to try and touch them? Did you actually touch something? No, (laughs) because I could see them but they weren't physically there in a a physical manner. So um, my hand just sort of went straight through them so that was Oh, gosh. Really frightening. Gosh. And were they, do you, I'm just trying to think, were they sentient spirits? Were, could they see you as you could see them? Or do you feel like you were sort of peering into a, a time in the past, like you were? they were sort of mm. an imprint on the building? Um, certainly, no, I, d- I don't believe that they're an imprint on the on the building. In this instance, I don't believe it was like stone tape theory or okay. anything like that. Half of them could interact with me and the other half didn't. Um, Whether they couldn't or didn't, I don't know. At that point, I didn't have the ability that I do now to be able to communicate with them and work it out. So, um, yeah. What was that communication like? What Can you remember? I know you were only seven at the time. I I didn't really know how to communicate then. I I have since learned I'm in my 50s now, so, you know, I've had a lot of time to practice and a lot of opportunity. But back then, I didn't know how to do any of that. Right. So it it was very frightening and very frustrating. You know, I'd see them in my room in the nighttime when I was trying to go to sleep. I had a manhole in my bedroom and my father, and it scared me. My father put a piece of board on the inside of the manhole, which was kind of heavy. And every night it would just move and it was... It was just awful. So there were lots and lots of things in the house that scared me. So I spent much of my childhood scared. Oh, my goodness. I can't imagine. But before we move on to the next part, I just wanted to check one thing. So you said that half of them could communicate with you. What would they do? Would they say, hi, we see you? Or what? Um, Tell us about that. No, no. Generally, there was a couple that if I walked into a room, they'd walk out. Or if I was walking down the hallway, they'd move which was the only real way that I thought that I knew that they knew that I was there. Um, I see. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a a verbal communication or or a mentally um, verbal communication at that point. How fascinating, Christine. So what happened when you told your parents? Initially, I told them and they just said, look, it's rubbish, you're imagining things and there's no one here. And then it went on for years and years and years and the encounters were becoming more frightening. And when I was about 10, maybe they took me to a psychiatrist because they accused me of lying. Because I, I, yeah. So um, when I went to the psychiatrist, 
it was very much a matter of why are you lying about this? It was never, oh, what are you actually seeing? And there was no validation to any of it. It was just a matter of how can we stop her lying? Mm. So um, I very quickly learned to just shut up. Yes. I, I realised that it wasn't safe for me to tell everyone that information and that they would judge me and typically badly and think things about me that were not true. So I just learned to be quiet. Wow. I can't imagine how that felt because you, you weren't validated and you just had to zip it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It was, it was a huge burden. It affected every part of my life. Do you feel like you have resolved that now or do you feel like you're still carrying that burden in a way? No, I don't feel like I'm carrying the burden anymore. My parents had their own encounter a little while after that that mm. made them second guess their attitude towards what I had been telling them since I was seven. And they even got the priest in at that point to bless the house and I knew that that was just not going to work. Oh, my but, gosh. So your parents changed their tune. Do you know what happened? Mm, I do. A couple of things happened. I started high school and I met a girl at high school uh, and she was coming over to my house for a night or something and her mother dropped her off and walked her to the door. And when her when I opened the door, her mother looked at the house, like looked inside and looked at me and she said, you see them, don't you? Wow. And at that point, I felt validated. Someone else was seeing what I was seeing. So my friend's mother was a medium and... Um, was able to teach me some things. But as far as what happened to my parents, and it was all around the same time, mm -hmm. my mother was ironing inside the lounge room. I was out doing something and the iron, um, she alleges, and I believe her, that the iron flew up and hit her. Ooh. She ran next door to the neighbour. That neighbour had lived there her whole life. And she wasn't, she never seemed surprised by any of the things that we told her about what's happening in the house. So that was interesting. But mm. my mother went in there and she made her a cup of tea and she stayed in there until I got home. My mother wouldn't go back into the house until I got home. Oh my gosh. Did your mother say something like, I now understand? No. Or no. Okay. No, she didn't. Their answer was, well, we better get the priest in. There might okay. be something going on here. Uh, so the priest came and did a blessing and it was absolutely useless. So, As you said earlier that you thought it would be, you didn't think it would yeah. work. Why, no. did, why did you not think that would work? I really don't know. <laughs> I guess I just had no faith in the priest, okay. to okay. be honest. Right. Um, yeah, so I, I just thought, yeah, I think you're wasting your time, but sure, why not? It'll be fun to watch. Okay. So <laughs> so was there a spiritual belief in your home or better, you know, put what were your spiritual beliefs at that time that all this was unfolding? Oh, that's probably a whole other show. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I grew up in, I'm going to say, a hypocritical Catholic family. I resented religion. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't seemed to align with what I was experiencing and uh, there's a, a lot of feelings of, of guilt associated with religion and I didn't subscribe to any of that even as, as young as, you know, seven or eight when I started going to a Catholic school. So I, I really struggled with what they were trying to have me believe because it didn't really align with 
my life experience, even at that age. I understand. And that helps us understand why you didn't have faith in what, you know, these priests, you know, could do to to release these spirits from your home. That's more clear yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. So, Christine, what happened with your gift of seeing spirit as you grew into your teen years? Did it sort of fade into the background of your life or did it become more pronounced? No, it became more pronounced. Also, I never call it a gift and I do that very deliberately. I do believe that it's something that most people can learn. Okay. Much like playing tennis, if you practice hard enough, mm. you'll you'll learn it and I really believe that that's the case. There's nothing too good about some of the things that I see. Yes. Most of it is a real burden. You know, when you're traveling around the world and you're going to places where people have died and you're seeing the instances of that as you're walking down the streets trying to enjoy today oh my and gosh. you have glimpses of the past, it's really, really hard. So I just wanted to put that in. A lot of people do refer to it as a gift and I, I don't view it as that. But I understand. My yeah, as a teenager, um, it got more obvious and it was a bigger part of my life. But I had at that point someone to talk to about it. So it was it was a little bit different to uh, when I was in primary school and I had no one to speak to. So was that your friend's mum? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so at what point did it become clear to you that this may become your life's work to to work with these spirits? <laughs> when I was an adult, I married and I took time off from the whole thing. I'd, I had a child um, quite young in, in that marriage and I just decided that I didn't necessarily want to have all of this around him if I could help it. Uh, so I decided to take some time off. It didn't really work out for me oh. by the time I was in my late 20s again. It was very obvious that my path has been chosen for me in another way. So the things that I had been blocking out for the last six or seven years or for the, the previous six and seven years were really rising up and demanding attention. So at that point, I invested an awful lot of time and energy into learning as much as I could. Okay. Um, by the time I hit my 30s, I was... Um, I was starting the paranormal research team. Okay. So could you tell us or give us a little bit of an idea of what were some of the events that were happening that made it obvious that, you know, there was no ignoring this? While I was trying to block it out, I was in, it, it takes an awful lot of energy to turn it off. Um, so I was expending a lot of energy keeping it turned off all of the time and things were coming through. I would... I would be getting messages to give to people in shops from their dead relatives oh and gosh. I was getting messages to about things that were going to happen and it was just becoming more and more intrusive to the point where I thought it's actually probably easier to turn off the turning off and and do the work again. Okay. Um, my son was a bit older by that point, so I didn't feel the same sense of intrusion or perhaps even danger that I felt when he was a baby. I had tried Christianity to maybe get some relief from the constant barrage of information that I was current, 
or always getting. Uh, the problem with that was that if you mention to a Christian that you're getting this, they think it's satanic and that you're evil. And I was ostracized by a lot of people. And I just thought, well, if this is Christianity, I don't need any of that. So at that point, I just uh, decided to learn as much as I could and try and control it better. And at that point too, I also got really, really tired of people telling me that I was imagining it or that it took me back to when I was taken to the psychiatrist and told I was a liar. So it became a mission for me to prove to these people that there is something, there is life after death and you can ignore it all you want. But if I could get some proof of it, then I would feel vindicated. So, Christine, that's so helpful to understand because now uh, I feel like we can understand sort of what drove this quest of yours and why you had to start this paranormal forum, which later then evolved into the investigation. Um, So tell us about some of the most haunted places or indeed the most haunted place that you've investigated and what you experienced there. (laughs) Oh, gosh. We worked with an author for a couple of years and that that was a really wonderful couple of years because during that time we were doing a lot of investigations and we were able to get access to the cream of the crop of places as well. Um, I've investigated so many places in Victoria specifically because I I live here. So most of them were done here because everything is at your own cost and it's very expensive. Right. We've investigated the township of Wahala and the old post office there and um, some old miners' cottages in Wahala. We've investigated Como House and Ripon Lee, uh, which are National Trust properties in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. We've done Seppelt's Winery and the tunnels under the Seppelt Winery in Great Western. We've done Jaywater Ararat. Um, we've done the convent in Dalesford. Uh, the Sacred Heart Convent in Ballarat. Uh, the list goes on wow. and on and on. We've also done uh, Monte Cristo in Juni. Oh, yes. Yeah, but look, uh, look, I'm I'm such a sceptic, which is highly ironic, but <laughs> so many places say, oh, we're the most haunted place. Yeah, Monte Cristo is, you know, run by some amazing people and they're doing some wonderful work in Juni for the community and, you know, they like to say they're the most haunted house, yes. um, which, which may or may not be the case. Arradale, um, I think, was recently voted as being the most haunted building, but I'm not sure who voted or how. Okay. But I've, I've investigated Arradale as well. In all honesty, one of the most haunted places I've ever been to is the convent in Dalesford. Oh. It's crazy. So that's an art gallery these days. It is an art gallery. It was originally the Gold Commissioner's House um, in Dalesford. Okay. And so <laughs> then it was sold to the Catholic Church and it became the presbytery for the priests. But it became so derelict and run down and, you know, it was hot and cold and they didn't like it. So the Catholic Church built a new presbytery for the priests and then they had this building and they thought, well, what are we going to do with this building? And they thought, oh, I know, we'll put the nuns here. The nuns will put up with it. So they put the nuns in there. So the nuns have the the longest history with, with that building and 
I think it's something like 26 nuns actually died on the premises. But you've also got all of the surrounding gold rush history, you know, people who who died during the gold rush who were knocked on the head and thrown down a mine and left for dead or who died from, um, you know, earth collapse and that sort of thing. And that's all on that hill in Dalesford where the convent is. So it's the most amazing place. Wow, I can't imagine what it's like for you as somebody who has this mediumship to be walking through a place like that. Are you sensing? Tell like tell us what you experience when you're there or or a story mm. of one of the most profound moments you had there. Well, the first time we went there, um, a lot of the girls and guys from my paranormal forum had come to Ballarat for a big meeting and we were doing some training and we had a spare day. We decided we'd go to Dalesford to the convent and um, I'd never been there before, didn't know what to expect, wasn't expecting it to be haunted to this sort of degree. When I walked in there, it became really obvious it was haunted because I was followed around by a nun and the nun was really unhappy happy. At the time, there was a display uh, of nuns in priest collars, which is not so bad, but they were naked. And the nun was really unhappy about this art. Oh, I see. So these were artworks, right. They were. And she didn't explain why they were in a convent. So I had to explain to her that it wasn't a convent anymore. And it was a gallery. And we sort of had that conversation. Could you see her? Christine? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. So was it like a like a flesh and blood nun standing in front of you in a habit? Yeah, that's usually how I see them. Okay. And it was a full, a full neck to ground habit, really heavy, like Irish wool. Um gosh, that would have been hot in the summer. Oh wow, yes. So I was with some people, some of the researchers from my team, and at that point. I deliberately stayed away from any little placards or signs that would give me hints about its history and they started taking notes. Um, After that, oh, we went upstairs to the infirmary at the very, very top of the building um, and a nun came running out of the infirmary and her and I kind of collided as much as you can with an object that isn't physical Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. on the stairs and I stopped short. And she was saying, oh, you know, my roof is leaking and how do I look after the uh, the nuns up here with under these conditions? And someone was meant to come and fix my roof and they haven't come. So I was giving all of this information to the researchers who were making notes. Uh, and then we, we went into the infirmary and had a bit of a look and there did appear to be a leak. So <laughs> that was still strange. a leak. <laughs> there actually is still a leak. Oh it's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. It's really hard to get tradies in Ballarat, sorry, in Dalesford apparently. Um, So after that day, we found uh, Tina, who owns the convent, um, wandering around, and I introduced myself. And it was just after there'd been a magazine article about me. I think it might have actually been in That's Life. Yes. And um, so she kind of knew about me in some way and we had asked her for permission to come in and investigate and that was early 2007 Uh, and we've been working there ever since. Oh, so you run tours there? Yes, I do. Okay, okay. Wow, so that sounds like an extraordinary place. I haven't been but I need to get myself there. It sounds fantastic. You do. Yeah, we've been running tours there for 12 years and they're, they're sold out when they run and it's great. 
Well, in that that's life piece, I read it, and um, you had an encounter there with a nun that, that oh. sadly had a horrible smell. Yeah, she's she comes through once or twice a year, um, and you can and still she, smell her. Yeah, you can. It smells like rotting flesh. It's, um, yeah, or. If you don't know what rotting flesh smells like, if you've ever had a cat or a dog with an abscess, it's it's that smell. Oh it's gosh. terrible. And yeah, why, it's really terrible. I believe you got to the bottom of why there was that odour with her. There was a nun that had died as a result of injuries from falling down, a stair, down the stairs. Stairs there, there's a lot of stairs and they're really, really steep. And look, the I. I can't get her name. She doesn't communicate. She is more an example of a stone tape theory where she's the same person doing the same thing at certain times of the year. Or, um, so the researchers okay. do believe, and I, I subscribe to that somewhat, that it's probably this lady who um, had such terrible injuries and, yeah. The injuries weren't treated and so they yeah. fested. You believe the yeah. wound fested. Okay, and that's what the, that smell is. Gosh, wow, that's that's traumatic for everyone involved to be smelling that. Yeah, it, it is. It really um, unsettles the staff at the convent. Um, so, yeah, she, yeah, the poor lady. Poor lady. She just tears through there. And so, Christine, I know that um, it's not just the tours that you run and the investigations, but you also help people in private homes who are having problems with um, spirits. Mm. Yeah, we do. Um, through the forum, we get a lot of people emailing us with problems and the last resort is that I will go there and try and work it out. What I prefer to do is teach them how to do it themselves and empower them um, okay. to see if they can come and see if they can come to a conclusion themselves and fix it. And then if they really fail with that, um, then I will often go out there and, and sort it out. Um, sometimes it's shops and old buildings and things and other times it's private homes. Okay. So just briefly, because I'm sure that this is a very involved process, but how do you move the spirits on? Uh, that is a very involved process. Um, my preferred way is trying to speak to them to make them understand that they're in the wrong place. Okay. And to encourage them um, to go forward to be with their dead loved ones. And if I can, I try and get their dead loved ones to come forward so that they can see each other and then their dead loved ones will take them. Um, there's a lots and lots of things that go into that whole process, but fundamentally that's how I do it. Okay. And do you think that there has to be somebody with psychic or medium mediumistic abilities inside a home for it to be haunted? No. Okay. No, and the prime example of that is my childhood home. It was haunted. I was there. My parents were completely oblivious. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it was still haunted. If I hadn't been there, it still would have been haunted. I see. Yeah, um, I understand. It was haunted after I left. It remained haunted. Ah, um, this it, is, yes, it, do tell. Yeah, so some squatters moved in um, at some point after the family left the home and uh, the squatters eventually left because they were scared. Uh, some years later, 
it was derelict um, and I was visiting Sydney and I went through the house with some friends and my brother. And Wow, what an experience. The, yeah, the squatters had written graffiti on the walls about evil living there and, you know, the beanie bears, they'd hung up oh, yeah. some beanie bears that had the angel wings. Oh. Um trying to ward off the evil in the house and, yeah, not even the squatters wanted to stay there. So clearly even after I left it was still haunted. So I don't think you need to have any sort of ability necessarily um, for it, yeah. Okay, for it, yeah. And when you went back to your childhood home, I understand that there was a bit of a showdown of sorts that you had with (sighs) one of the former you know, well, we could call him one of your old foes there from your childhood. Yeah. Look, and in hindsight, I think he was sort of leader. He was the ringleader of some sort. Whether he appointed himself or they appointed him, I have no idea. But his name was Duncan. I was able to find out when I went back Duncan. with more ability. Okay. Yeah. Did you get a and surname, Christine? I didn't, no. Okay. Um, names and dates are the hardest thing to get. Yes. Sometimes I'll get both. Sometimes I'll get one. Uh, like at the convent, I was getting full names like Aloysius Evans and all sorts of things. But uh, at that house, oh, best I could do was Duncan. Okay. Um, what happened when you saw him again? So when I went back with my brother and, and some friends, uh, he came straight up to me and he was face to face with me. And you could just see he was he was aware of who I was. He knew who I was. Um, and I said to him, you can't scare me anymore. And if you're not careful, I'll just send you to the light. Mm. So uh, he backed off really quickly. He he knew that I was a different uh, different being now and that he couldn't mess with me and he, he took a step back. Wow, my gosh. How yeah. did you feel after that moment? <laughs> Pretty victorious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'd haunted me my whole childhood. Yes, it was, it was horrible. You'd felt so much fear throughout your childhood. Yeah, and in my bedroom there was a laneway at the side um, between the two houses that were next to each other and it was up high. It wasn't at head level, um, my window, and I would have faces at my window all night and it was just terrible. So for me finally to be able to walk in and say, you know, if any of you mess with me today, you're out of here, it was was great. What a moment. And so do you feel like you've gone – towards answering that that question that you know was that in a way haunted your childhood is there life after death what are your thoughts on that I do as some sort of evidence and you know I'm not saying that this evidence is recognizable by the scientific community or anyone in particular but it meets my standard of evidence Mm -hmm. um, whereby there's uh, more than two pieces of some sort of evidence corroborating one experience. So, for example, from the convent gallery in Dalesford, I've been able to get uh, all the years I've been doing paranormal research, the best photo of an apparition that I've ever seen. Oh, and a lot of people put up all pictures and say, oh, it's a ghost, and it really isn't. Yeah. Um, this is a picture of two nuns with one of the nuns holding a child. Oh, my gosh. Can I yeah. see that, and Christine? Would you share that yeah. with our listeners? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, it's incredible. And I show this picture to everyone who comes on the ghost tour. And 
I've been doing tours there for 12 years. There's not many people that say they can't see it. It looks like a nun. Um, It's just incredible. So I've gotten that. The other thing that we've gotten from the convent gallery is some really amazing electronic voice phenomena. Mm. And there's one particular clip, and I'm happy to uh, send this one to you as well. Thank you where Mother Superior is walking through the building and she says, check the children. Wow. It's incredible. So for me, that uh, those that, that nun is the nun that I see when I go there and we ask them to be in pictures and, you know, at this time she just decided to be in a picture. Um, that voice recording was taken in an empty room, how do you explain those Mm -hmm. things except that sometimes the unlikely answer is the one that's true. That's right. Oh, my gosh. And that's satisfied, that sceptical nature that you have, which is so great to balance the mediumship, I think. Yeah, because if we had just gotten a voice recording or if we had just gotten a photo, I would not consider that to be good enough. In both of the instances where we received the voice recording and we got the picture, there were other pieces of evidence. There was a temperature drop in the case of the the photo and there is a theory that we subscribe to that the temperature can drop very dramatically from, you know, seven degrees and upwards mm. in the presence of a ghost. Yes. In this case, it dropped 14 degrees. Ooh. Yeah, which was significant, significant. I've that never doesn't heard of such a Yeah, I've never heard of no. such, a, such a drop, yeah. No, it doesn't accidentally happen, uh, especially in a sealed-off building when you're investigating, even in the middle of the night. Um, it, it just doesn't happen. No. There's no airflow. In the case of the um, in the case of the voice recording, we leave a, an audible um, EMF detector with a machine mm-hmm. um, that's recording and just prior to Mother Superior saying check the children, the EMF meter went off. So there's more than one piece of evidence to corroborate what we captured. Okay, that's fantastic to know. Wow, it's um, it's been so wonderful speaking with you. You've got so much wisdom to impart, but I can't let you go without asking you the question I put to all of my guests, Christine, on The Ghost Files. What can an encounter with the dead teach us about living? Oh, wow. That's a whole other show too, but very quickly. (laughs) We'll have to get you back uh, on, clearly. That'd be great. Um, I think that it can teach us not to be so wound up with what other people want us to believe. Um, I'm, I'm yet to speak to a ghost that is telling me about hell or judgment or anything like that Mm. and I think that if more people living knew that maybe there wasn't a hell and maybe there wasn't that judgment that many religions uh, want us to believe there is Mm -hmm. that we might live our lives a little bit differently in fact I'm going to go out and say that I've actually not spoken to ghosts that speak of heaven. They speak of a life in between life, mm. in between their lives. Wow. Um, yeah, and I'm a trained hypnotherapist and I do past life regression as well. Oh, it, that's um, another show too. Wow, Christine. It is. So, you know, when I'm speaking 
and I use my mediumship abilities to speak with people's guides when I'm doing past life regressions. Okay. When I'm speaking to them, I'm I'm not getting pictures of heaven the way religions want us to believe. The, yes. the way they want to sell us heaven. And I think that if more people knew this, that uh, maybe we'd be living our lives a little differently. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. There's a lot to chew on there. And we really appreciate you coming on the Ghost Files today, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I want to quickly take a moment to thank the listeners who've reviewed the show. I so enjoy reading your feedback and would like to encourage you all to subscribe to The Ghost Files and leave us a review as that helps more listeners discover the show. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.